I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Forged in the fires of undersoil heating. Stronger than the steel of a stadium roof, their name is uttered in anguish and ecstasy. It's all about the football gods. All they can do is hope they're smiling on them. Never seen, never heard, but with ultimate power, these are the football gods. Their names are part of football folklore. They're often turned to in times of need. They can be a fan's last resort, but who are the football gods? I'm Tim Spears. And I'm Kate Mason. And we'll be pondering the important questions such as, what moment are you wiping from history? And what are your football commandments? Given the power, how would you change football? Hey everybody, this week's Football God is Anna Tashinsky. She is the co-host of one of the podcast world's biggest successes and earliest successes as well, an innovator in the podcast space. The podcast is No Such Thing as a Fish, if you hadn't listened to it yet. It's had 400 million listens, unbelievably. She's one of QI's elves, so she writes scripts for that TV show. And she's also the co-author of brand new book, Everything to Play For, the QI Book of Sports. It's a book full of sports' weirdest rules, its most unlikely heroes, and a lot of Anna's uh, specialist knowledge, I think, really spilled out over to this episode of Football Gods, Tim. Some truly unbelievable answers in this Some one. unique answers that we're, I don't think we'll ever get on this on this podcast again, no matter how many episodes we do. So, yeah, we've really sort of delved into history today. Um, and not just like, you know, football in the 70s we're talking like you know <laughs> we're, we're talking like kings from centuries ago so yeah Tudors yeah absolutely uh yeah we've had kings we've had composers um we've had historical football decisions from over a century ago there's a lot to dig into today here she is then Anna Tuchinsky football god Anna Tuchinsky um, how do you feel about people mispronouncing your name? 
I am absolutely fine with it. And that was actually a really good pronunciation. Well have you done. been okay. swatting well it up? <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. I have. It seems like it's a running theme on No Such Thing as a Fish, your incredibly successful podcast. Uh, <laughs> thank you for slipping that in. Enjoy that plug. I'll go now. Um, yes, it is. Well, Dan Schreiber, the host, pronounces everything wrong and, and does pronounce my name slightly wrong sometimes. But I pronounce it wrong. You're meant to say the P. If I was actually Polish, I'd pronounce the P. So Whoa. I think you can say it however you like, really. You, so you're... Goodness, because we were actually just talking about this in the context of footballers, weren't we, Tim? In that, like, there's quite often standardised ways that people pronounce footballers, and mm-hmm. actually, quite often, they're not at all the way that they're supposed to be pronounced. So you effectively are doing a kind of, kind of dumbed down version of your own pronunciation. I'm doing the English commentator pronouncing confidently a uh, foreign player's name wrong trick with my own name. Yes. That's um, amazing. I mean, the, the the first one I ever remember these was um, uh, David Ginola. Yeah, but I want just to say Ginola. Yeah. Right. Wait, which one is correct? Because I used to be kind of in love with him in the nineties, and I think we would say Ginola. But then Gin- maybe I was chopped and changed. Yeah. G- Ginola sounds a bit more English to me, and Ginola sounds sounds French. I would say. Exactly. I think we said Ginola at the time. And then in retrospect, maybe I say Ginola trying to be a bit more respectful. Um, yeah. Well, if you like, do it with an accent, it's it's fine, isn't it? Cantona, Cantona. Yeah. Cantona. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you loved him because you are a fan of which football team? Is this related? Uh, well, it's I'm kind of one of these hateful people who sort of has two teams. But I was a big Newcastle fan in the 90s in my youth so that's hence the David Ginola in fact as I think I was saying it when I was 11 love yes I actually I've jumped around so my mom was a big Man United fan because she grew up in Manchester and as were me and my brothers and then you know you hit about 10 or 11 and you really want to be different stand out a bit so a family friend supported Newcastle and I was like yeah I can get away with being a Geordie and <laughs> had I did ever since but then, uh, and then I went to uni, and so I guess this is 2005, and met someone who is such an obsessive Charlton fan who became one of my very best friends, and is a very persuasive man, and sort of roped me into being also a Charlton fan. And so now, I would say I lean more towards Charlton now because I've got slightly confused feelings about the ownership of Newcastle. Well, obviously it wasn't great before but then obviously moving over to the Saudis was really frying pan to fire kind of situation so I still I still follow Newcastle and I still get furious at moments like I don't know when this will go out but it's been a rough week for Newcastle in this recording week where they were outrageously robbed of a sure sure way out of the group stages of the Champions League but I feel bad about liking them at the same time is that that's a very confused answer to I support. But there's plenty to unpick there. First of <laughs> all, I would say that almost any, anyone was a Newcastle fan in the 90s. Like I'm the biggest Wolves fan you could find, but even I had a Newcastle sort of 95 shirt with the Newcastle, is it the, the Newcastle Brown Ale? Yeah. Um, logo and like the little collar and everything. Like that team was, that was, team was so likable. It really was. Yeah, it was. And those, I think when you're that, age things are so imprinted on your memory like the whole even the weird players like Peter Beardsley I remember laughing him for some reason but yeah the like Shearer Ferdinand was Shearer Ferdinand 
Asprilla, I think we were calling him at the time. Oh, yeah, Tino. Yeah. And actually, I'm such a bad luck charm because, like I say, it was like 96, I guess, when I started supporting them. And it was pretty much downhill from there, gradually. (laughs) But I mean, Keegan, you you think things have gone on so long when you're a kid, but actually it was only one season I supported them and then Keegan left. And it was, you know, I quite like Kenny Dalglish, but it was a slow downhill decline from then on, wasn't it? And what what about what about the Charlton journey? Was that sort of Premier League time? Or? It was exactly the same trajectory, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you right. really don't want me as a fan. That was so. Yeah, Charlton had gone up into the Premier League a few seasons before I started supporting them, and it was like this was Charlton's glory days. It was like Alan Kerbishley was this legendary manager, and. They had, remember when I started, Darren Bent was absolute hero, almost was in the England team, I think, but I don't think actually was in the England team. But yeah, I started supporting them and immediately again, Kerbishley left. And (laughs) I think the season after I started supporting them, they got relegated. And then it's been sort of 15 years of however long of trauma and pain since then. Really, you, you, you're not an England fan as well, are you, Anna? I feel like just just stay away. Step away. away. Step away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, our first question to you, as in your role as football guard, would be: Is there a team, and I guess this could be a Newcastle team or or a Charlton team from back in the day, or it could be it could be any team. It could be Barcelona, 2010, whatever. But is there is there like a a team of the gods for you, a, a, a sort of a glory team, a glory era? I think it does have to be that 90s Newcastle team just because, like I say, it's such a formative time when you're supporting them and they were an absolute legendary and really likeable team. I mean, Alan Shearer is... I still quite love Alan Shearer for all the stick he maybe sometimes gets on Match of the Day. Yeah, they were just a lovely team. Keaton was a legend and they were excellent. But then at the same time, I do think there's a kind of joy in supporting a sort of terrible team. So at the same time, I'd say I've loved Charlton at some of their more plummeting down the leagues moments as well. That The Newcastle team was sort of epitomised by Keegan in that he was just so emotional. Obviously, you've got the I would love it rant. You've got the thing at Liverpool, Liverpool away where he's sort of, he can't hide his emotions. He's slumped behind that advertising board. Like he, he resigned in the toilets when he was England manager, yeah. didn't he? Like <laughs> you don't get them like Keegan anymore. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose that's that's what football's all about, is these completely nonsensical, wild emotions. At least his career really did depend on it, unlike the rest of us who sort of sob and rant and rave when it means absolutely nothing. It's, I don't know, there's something quite cartoonish about the guy these days. In his book, he spends a lot of time talking about how when he had a perm, he was like super sexy and everyone loved him. So there's wow. a lot of that, I think. I think, about. I think. I think there's a bit of truth in that. Sure, but... It's just a bit. I, I don't know. I'm going to put my hand my, up and say. My mum loved him. I'll tell you that for free. Oh, yeah. Okay. Lo- loved the perm. It's mom. just quite amusing though, isn't it? To go around being like, I'm sexy. I was, I was sexy <laughs> because of my perm. <laughs> so yeah, I was just, uh, I wondered on what side of the divide you felt. I mean, you don't have to admit to finding Keegan sexy. But yeah, did you find him like a... A character of inspiration you did sounds like I, I certainly did although perhaps I hadn't you know gone through my sexual awakening yet enough <laughs> to find him 
<laughs> no, I don't, I don't think that went Maybe it was slightly before my time that he was at his most dashing. Um, mm. So he wasn't a sexy figure to me. I, I found Shearer very sexy mm. uh, at the time. But mm. no, sorry, Keegan. Also, there's a real tragedy to that team. Like, obviously, they they blew that lead. What was it? Like 11 points clear at Christmas or something. Yeah. And Newcastle, you know, not won a trophy for so many decades and still haven't. Yeah. Like that was the year. There's a real, there's a real tragedy to that to that era. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, lo- and lost a couple of cup finals as well around that time. It just just never quite happened. Yeah, that's Anna's fault. I yeah. know. I'm yeah, just... yeah. We, we, finally, we're, people have been looking for decades. What, what was the reason? It was me. Well, it didn't happen, and now we've uncovered it. <laughs> and in fact, since I've started drifting away on spurious moral grounds, but they are doing pretty well. So <laughs> it does feel like I should start <laughs> leaving teams alone. Right, your football god, Anna. What is your first godly act on taking the the, the throne? Well, I think, assuming I'm sort of all powerful, so um, very great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if anyone said this. I imagine they have, but to end the theatrics of football. I think to end the diving, to end the exaggerated injuries, to end rolling around on the floor, clutching your face when, you know, someone's nipped you in the thigh. I think it really puts people off. So one of the things I think about football and actually the reason that, and this is going to sound like a shameless plug, but it's not meant to be, but the reason that I've written a book with my colleague about sport is that I think it can be quite exclusive. And I think a lot of people think they're not fans of sport and particularly not fans of football and particularly women because of cultural reasons. And it's because it is quite excluding, but also it's because everyone knows there's this thing in football where people throw themselves on the ground the whole time at the slightest injury. And everyone knows that rugby exists and NFL exists where they're just like beating each other up the whole time. So it's this weird situation. And I think that like, as, as a God, I would say if you're, Rolling around on the ground, fine, but you have to feel the exact level of pain that you're claiming to be feeling. That right. would be what I did. So you can clutch your face in agony, but I'm afraid your face is going to then be on fire. And Oh, you're imposing nice. the injury or the pain. Yeah. You as God are going to then, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I think I'm one of those like evil sadistic uh, gods. R- sadistic gods, yeah, ancient yeah, Greek Old gods. Testament vibes. Interesting. Yeah. So if you go down, like you know, you know, you know, when they like smack the floor and it's like, yeah, 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 like leg in complete agony. So their their leg would then be potentially broken, or you know, I some think, kind of yeah, foot would drop off, or foot would, dro- foot would drop off, a- amputation, yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's only fair. I mean, there was something quite... But, it, but it, it would only have to happen once. You know, this is just one very grim incident, then the whole football world would take notice and, and change. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah, a sort of <laughs> exemplary justice, something like that. Yeah. Because we talk about sin bins, right? But this would be much more effective. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's not necessary. I, feel, I don't know when everyone started doing it, but it feels like someone started doing it, you know, 50 years ago, and then everyone else had to do it as well. Otherwise, they're, you know getting penalised for not getting the fouls awarded to them. And it was kind of refreshing during COVID when suddenly games were played, you know, without fans. Obviously, there were loads of things that were depressing us out about that, but there was no diving. There was like in that whole time, no one was booked for diving at a time when there would have been, I think, 10 or 15 bookings for diving. So as soon as you're not displaying for a crowd, 
it's, it stops happening. It's sad that it's become so acceptable to do it now. I remember sort of in the 90s or noughties, like on, on Match of the Day, they would always pick up on the divers and it would be a big thing, like shaming the divers, whereas that just doesn't happen anymore. It's, it's, very, it's very acceptable. It's standard, yeah. Everyone sort of gets trained for it, right? Presumably everyone's having sessions and and people dive. I mean, it's kind of clever. I think there's a thing where players are much more likely to dive with refs who are statistically more likely to award fouls or and they're much more likely to, to dive when the referee's nearer to them, obviously. So it's also strategic and I don't like it. Yeah, and the refs do have a part to play. Like, so I was at uh, Fulham v Wolves recently and um, Max Max Kilman, the Wolves defender, he was slightly headbutted. You know, it, it was it, it was it was enough Slightly for a red card. Headbutted. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was it, you know it wasn't like a you know smack him to the ground sort of headbutt, but it was just enough. The... It was enough to be deemed a red card offence um, uh, okay. after the game. Yeah. But because Kilman just didn't react and whatever, mm-hmm. there wasn't even a foul given. Uh, Whereas if yeah. he'd have sort of gone to the floor rolling around, I think he, prob- he probably probably would have got a red card totally. for the opposition. So the refs do have a part to play in it as well. I think they do. The incentives are wrong, aren't they? But as someone watching football, it's just. It's just so much better when the game is flowing and nothing is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the I don't know if you saw much of the Rugby World Cup, but it really brought home just how pathetic our, our, our sport is at times. Yeah. Like people getting punched in the face and just like see it as a challenge. Right, yeah. I'm going to punch you harder. Yeah, this is not a this is not a view that I despise when I'm in the stands at Charlton game. You know, chanting abuse at the ref like everyone else. But I do think referees have a rough time in football generally, and. Mm. It is hard. And you forget like how we're subconsciously psychologically affected all the time. Like again in COVID, I think way fewer fouls were awarded to home sides. And that's just because the impact of being there with the home fans in the stands as the referee, you know, screaming at you to do make one decision or that you think, oh, that'd be so easy though. You're a ref, just ignore it. And you, you can't, I don't think. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Tough gig. Tough gig. Uh, right, this is a good start. We'll move on to question three, which is, Anna, who is footballing perfection for you? Well, and this is a very personal preference. I'm not claiming that he's the greatest player in the world, but I have a huge soft spot for Miguel Amaron. And yeah. <laughs> Yes. Wow. No, it's a great call. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm getting a wow, and I can understand that. So... He's he plays for Newcastle. I things I like about him always fun to see see a left foot. I think you know it's just a bit special, isn't it? Mostly he's so, so cheerful and enthusiastic and hardworking. And I guess something I don't like maybe about where football's gone sometimes is that it's it's about the stars quite often. You know your Cristiano Ronaldo sort of vibes, and he seems the opposite of that real team player. I read a nice interview with him a while ago where he quoted a Paraguayan, so he's from Paraguay, he quoted a Paraguayan saying, which I don't think we have an equivalent of here particularly, but it's, I want to rely on you is a very popular saying. And he was saying that's about, you pick someone and you say, I want to be in this together with you. And he seems like that. He's incredibly fast and he's just so cheerful. Like anything that happens in a game, he's just got this grin on his face the whole time. And I think some, I think whenever he scores, which is very often, it's just always an interesting goal. It's always like a weird chip or it's from a surprisingly long way away. I like that he's really adaptable. So he started sort of in one place. I think he came for a lot of money and maybe Newcastle fans didn't love him at the start. 
and then he was moved around a bit by Eddie Howe, but he he doesn't whinge about that. He's just adapted quite well to, I think, playing on the right now. And I think he's just a very likable, very good team player. And I think he's what kind of football players should be. That's kind of a really cute answer. And a great underdog story. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, the journey he went on, you know, he was a bit of a figure of fun and the whole the whole Grealish, yes. Grealish thing, taking the mick out of him. And then to go from that to that astonishing run that he went on is a real is a real great story. Totally. And also, if you like a great story, and I think, you know, if you like sport, you love a good narrative, it's part of it. And I think the context of background is always interesting. He came from, I mean, literally nothing. He was raised in like a really poor family in Paraguay. He shared a bed with his mum because they were in such a small house until he was 18. And again, in this interview I read with him, he was saying that he loved football from an early age. I always think football is so democratic because it costs nothing. And that's why it's popular everywhere. But he was saying even people he knew, no one could really afford a football. So he would just be kicking stones around and bits of wood around. And that's so he's grown up from that in Paraguay to being where he is now, which is pretty cool, isn't it? And on a lesser, in a much lesser version of that as well, you know, he kind of, when Steve, was it when, it must have been when Steve Bruce was there, he sort of became quite shit and sort of yeah. not very uh, confident. And then now, as you were saying with Eddie Howe, it's all, he's yeah. just scoring for fun, as yeah. you say. Yeah. Which is really fun to watch, especially given how smiley. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got <laughs> not, you know, some of the usual like Messi, Ronaldo numbers that we've had in the past. But, <laughs> you know, I, I noticed you didn't say like, oh, you might have had this answer already. <laughs> like, yeah, I, did, I, I felt that wasn't necessary as a precursor. I actually, I do want to do a shout out. And again, I don't think you would have had this answer already, but a very recent shout out for Lauren James, who I think oh, at the moment yeah. is suddenly, like, when she's really good, I think she looks amazing. And yeah, obviously, I think in that recent game, 5-1 game for Chelsea, where she, I think, did she score three? And then it was one assist as well. She's on the ball. She's fun to watch. You've forgiven her the uh, little kick out and the old uh, the little red l- card. The little stand. The old, yeah. Hey, who hasn't, you know, stamped on someone's foot or whatever every now and again? No, I mean, that, that was bad. That was bad, Lauren. Don't do it again. <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are damning someone to hell next. It doesn't actually have to be a player, but, it, it, you know, because we've had, I think we had managers as well and whatever. Yes, you can damn someone to hell in the world of football. Okay. This is, I found this one difficult because it feels mean. And yeah. it's my, very final. In, yeah. yeah. In the, in the high passions of football, you want to damn a lot of people to hell. So obviously there was a time when we all wanted to damn Gareth Southgate to hell. And then in the World Cup 98, back to hell. And we don't feel that way now. So I think like humorously as a Charlton fan, we remin and this was even before my time, but Scott Parker would be someone who Ooh. we just hated. Only because though he was sort and like I say, before my time, but I was introduced to the Charlton narrative and so he's always been imprinted on my mind. Such good player was gonna be, you know, their saving grace and just did the kind of classic thing, fair enough, of being bought by Chelsea at a crucial moment and disappearing to a rich team. And then from then on, it was that was kind of like, I think Scott Parker leaving and me beginning my support for Charlton were the two reasons why they suddenly fell from the Premier League. But again, it's not, that's not his fault. So I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say the football player I would damn to hell is Henry VIII. <laughs> what am I talking about? We've had we've had that already. I knew I would be able to come up with anything original here. Uh, yeah, look, he owned the world's first pair of football boots. So we know he was a footballer. Um, these, wow. these were found in his wardrobe. And I feel okay bitching about him because he's long dead and he was a real artist. He's a prick. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, killed about 53,000 people, which I hadn't realised until recently. It had 53,000 people executed. We bitched about Bloody Mary Jesus. and her couple of hundred. And um, he played football. So that's my answer. Henry VIII. There we go. <laughs> no no supporter of any team could get angry with me for that. That's extremely smart. <laughs> okay. Do we know if he was much of a team player? Was he a, was he, a team <laughs> he seems like more of a Cristiano Ronaldo than a uh, yeah than a team player, doesn't he? Because he obviously had that separating leg. So I imagine later on oh. he wouldn't have been that nifty. No, you don't. It's separation. Did we put him in goal because he was quite big? Yeah, he's like a, he's like a Neville Southall type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, exactly. Neville Southall was quite enlightened. So perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> He was actually very athletic when he was younger. He was very tall. Mm. Not that that's, I mean, especially used. Well, that's why I was thinking goal, maybe. Yeah, or he could, goal. Or he could be a kind of Andy Carroll. Oh. I mean, again, with the movements, probably not that useful. Andy Carroll, actually, yeah. another one was a bit of a black mark for a Newcastle fan. Um, but, you know, I think one hates players because they've come with such promise and it's often must be so difficult for them arriving for these huge amounts of money, which isn't that difficult, I'm sure. But 
with all this expectation on them, which often they don't meet. Andy Carroll's a classic example of that. What do we know about Henry VIII's uh, boots then? What, what, what defined them as the first football boots? Well, there was a list of what like the shoes were meant for. I think this was discovered quite recently um, in the royal wardrobe and this said for playing football. So it was found with two pairs of fencing shoes. So they were like written down as these are for when he's fencing, then football boots, these are when he's playing football. And then they were actually in the same order of his. There were 37 pairs of velvet shoes. Unclear what sport they were meant for, but who knows? Do we know what they're made out of or how they were different, apart from not velvet from the sound of things? I think they would have been, I want to say leather, but um, that's just a random guess. I'm sure we, do you know what? I think Dr. Maria Hayward, who found them, would know what they were made out of, yes. But I don't know. Do you know if afraid. she's a football fan? Do you think we should? I don't know. Get, get her on the show. Find out. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I don't think we can get any more like apt damning to hell footballers than that really yeah absolutely him and Ali McCoist you know the the two sort of most deserving ones so far (laughs) Uh, (laughs) amazing Um, we're going to move on to a moment now Anna is there is there a footballing moment from your footballing past that you would like to wipe from history I think it's a footballing moment from the footballing past and it is back in 1921 is the moment I would wipe from history and it's when the FA decided that they would ban, and I think a lot of people are aware of this now, maybe a lot of people aren't, but the FA got around and decided that they would ban women from playing on all FA grounds, which was effectively amounted to a ban on women playing football because they couldn't play anywhere in the country. And I just think it would have been so interesting to have had a century where that hadn't happened because the reason they did it, and football is always about money in the end, really, the big decisions that are made at the top. The reason they did it was that the First World War had happened, the men had gone away, the women had gone to work in factories, and they'd formed these football teams in their factories. They got together and there were various popular teams, but there's this now relatively known team called the Dick Kerr Ladies football team who worked in a munitions factory and they were super popular and there was one game which was I think they played at Goodison Park. I think it was at Goodison Park. It was wasn't it? Yeah Yeah. and they got an attendance of like 53,000 I think which was. the idea was that there were queues outside as well so actually it could have been more. Exactly people banging on the on the doors to get in. And yeah, so this popularity obviously threatened the women's game. And I found when we were researching this book that we wrote, and there was a lot of stuff about women being barred from various sports. And it was always the people in power who wanted to do it. Like if you read the articles at the time, journalists didn't believe that it was bad for women's health to play football or to run or it wasn't suited to them. But it was people who held the keys to power and the money who went, this is going to be a threat to our monopoly of this game. We're profiting from the men's game. And so they were blocked out. And I think that's really sad. You know, it's taken a good hundred years almost to get back to that level of popularity, those attendances. I think that would that would be my honest answer. You're so right about the money thing because I think they said, if I remember right, they also said, Oh, you know, you can but you can play on like on like village greens if you mm-hmm. want. You know, you can there's yeah. grass, you can just play on grass. But the key point is like if you can't charge money for tickets, then you can't 
how earn can money you... for your team if you're trying exactly. to be kind of semi-professional and so it just completely died out I think that I can't remember if it was that team or another one they went on like a tour to the states yeah I think you're right at one point yeah. as well so it was really really like common popularity of this of, of this team and, and a few others that they were competing against it really um, was and it's so it's so nice to imagine and so heartening that back then when we think maybe people were less enlightened in certain ways God, they weren't. As soon as women were on the pictures instead of men, they were like, well, yeah, this is just as fun. And I don't think it's ever the masses that decide that they don't approve of something. So if if that moment was wiped from history, how do you how do you envisage the journey of the women's game would have happened instead? Oh, God, good question. Well, I think I envisage we'd have twice as much football to watch, which would be fun. Perhaps it would be, I mean, it's always going to be a slightly different game, isn't it? Because women are physically slightly more different, but it would have developed, I think, I think it would be to the same standard as the men's game now in a different way, I would assume. And I also would assume it would be equally as popular because I see no reason why why it wouldn't be. But who knows? Because if you think as well, it's not like, I mean, yeah, of course, Premier League is followed more than league one for instance but it's not like people are like when they go to watch charlton you know they're as committed to yeah. going to watch newcastle it's not like they're sort of like oh i'm just doing this as a bit of a joke you know so it doesn't you're exactly right it's not quite about the quality of football although that's joyful to watch in a way there's so much more to supporting football isn't there like you say i've been the number of games i've been to charm games where you know you're watching terrible football from start to finish <laughs> and yeah it's a really fun experience and i'm sure you've had nothing <laughs> similar with wolves so it, that won't be something that you can empathize with but i think <laughs> <laughs> tim <laughs> i mean you know I, I used i used to love it back in the day when they were terrible the, the one of the best seasons i ever had as a wolves fan was when they're in league one and they're yeah they're the grounds and the standard was terrible, but it was. It's. It's about. It's about. It's about experiences. It's about routines. It's about who you're with. Yeah. It's. It's. It's, it's the atmosphere. Not about the fact, yeah. Exactly. Fans. Yeah. Right. So we've got women playing loads of football and being amazing, and now we're going to banish one thing from football, please, Anna. I do want to say that I thought this before the Newcastle game this week. Genuinely, when you sent me these questions. One pet peeve I have, which maybe would be my runner-up, is I think like accidental handballs in the penalty area that now there's a penalty given for them more often than they used to be annoys me quite a lot. But that's just kind of personal opinion. I think it's... So this this was an incident that no reason why people are listening maybe in weeks to come would remember, but um, it felt like it was an unavoidable handball that wasn't even quite a handball when a ball's coming straight at you really fast and you can barely react in time and it doesn't necessarily make a particular difference. I think maybe too many penalties are given. I don't love that, but I think yes. that'd be my runner-up because... Also, you, if you had the thing with the brains of the divers from earlier and setting fire to their legs if they pretended that their legs were broken, you could also probably have like a sensor of some kind on the brain of the person to figure out That's a great, whether they, if, if they meant, meant to, to do, do it. Or not. Yes. yes. Intention yeah. is a very hard thing to read, isn't it? Yeah. Let's, but I'm a god, so I can read their minds. So exactly. Rather than spending ages in front of the VAR screen, you can just go to me. <laughs> I'll be like, no, complete accident. I was in there. Don't worry. 
Um, but the, the one you the one you talk about is is ridiculous because he, his his hand doesn't move, yeah. so the yeah. ball hits him in the midriff. His hand doesn't move that thereafter. So of course it wasn't deliberate. And yeah. then to give a penalty for that, where there's like an eighty percent chance of a goal, yeah, in stoppage time, where it's gonna it's gonna define the result, yeah, uh, yeah, ridiculous. We're all with you. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I actually would say that my, um, again, because I'm on a quest to make football more accessible and one thing I would banish is certain, as a god, I could do this, certain conversations about football, which I think you hear a lot and sometimes I think we all do it, but it's where there's basically, usually men, because of cultural reasons, there's an exchange of information about football which has nothing to do with wanting to discuss the game and nothing to do with wanting to analyze things or enjoying it. It's about signaling what you know about football. And I really do think that happens. I think like a a classic, which I honestly think is, if people were really honest with themselves, a classic is if you are someone who they support, like you support Burnley and then I I support Burnley and someone will say, oh yeah, I've been to Turf Moor a few times. It's a great stadium, isn't it? Like they'll they'll they name your stadium straight away. And I think that that is just to say I know enough about this. And the reason I ban it is I think that's fine because it's a nice bond you can get with other people. The reason I ban it is because I think that can be very excluding. And I think that's the reason why people can be sitting with football fans and think, well, I'll never crack into this because look at this level of extreme knowledge these people have, without realizing which you know if you're really good friends with them and you're watching them do it and you're like, you don't know that much what you're talking about here. You (laughs) kind of know that they're just doing it as a signaling thing. And I think it's a good rule for all conversations, I think. If I can spread my godly powers to all conversations, you know, politics, art, whatever, being a bit more inclusive rather than just trying to show that, hey, I know about this, therefore I'm in the in-group. Does that make sense? I know this is... A football podcast where there obviously has to be a lot of in football chat, uh, which I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's two sides to it because I can think of lots of examples of where I have seen that. But then on the flip side, sometimes it is a nice, it is a nice way of making it possible for the person who really just wants to talk about, it, in my case, Tottenham, to just waffle on about how great. Yeah, Tottenham is. So it can be done as a generous act. You're I right, a welcoming, kind of, yeah, please. It, it kind of depends on... Yeah, it depends on the circumstances. The, I think. Yeah. the group. Mm. Um, Definitely. Again, and as a god, I'd know the intention and I can see if it's someone who's trying to encourage fruitful conversation. Or... Yeah, because the hard thing about those conversations as well is if that happens and you're with a group of people who don't care about football, don't know about football, or maybe do think they might, but it's quite hard to know how to pitch it. Like yes. I don't, you know, because you don't want to be like, well, uh, Turf Moor is actually the uh, stadium where, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> where Burnley play and its capacity is X, Y, and Z. And interestingly, and... <laughs> it's a tough balancing act. Yeah. <laughs> As a football god, maybe you could just, um, again, kind of implant this like basic knowledge of football across the general population. That would be so nice. Everybody has the same level. Yeah. And then you can spring up from that to expand yeah. your interest a bit. Or maybe we teach it in schools. Maybe instead of geography. Um, I'd love that. We'll have football. Yeah. yeah lovely. I yeah. Everyone, see- everyone finds out about Turf Moor and, <laughs> and the, 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 the wooden seats. Yeah. You know, that makes it a bit different. And you've got a beautiful view over the. There's like some hills behind. It's like a lovely view over Lancashire. Cool. I, I actually um, didn't know that. Now I actually do want to go there. 
so that's because you need to be sitting on the press box, which is on the back row of the main stand, uh-huh. and you can see out over the top, and also you can see a, a cricket ground to to your right. Oh, it's very very scenic, very Lovely. beautiful. So but... it's a very boring game. You can just watch watch out. Yes, over... yeah, because you can actually see the the cricket sort of wicket. It's not just the boundary edge. You can Brilliant. Watch the cricket. Watch two games at once. We always like, um, I go to quite a lot of Oxford games as well because I grew up in Oxford. My brother's a rabid Oxford fan and the Kassam Stadium has one end of it, has no stand. It just goes into the car park. And so if the ball goes over there, it just gets kind of chucked, chucked back in by someone in the car park who's going to the multiplex on the other side of it. Who who parks in there? Is that ordinary fans? Like, because they're, they're sort of running the risk of, with like, with Oxford's notoriously bad shooting, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> wow, I hope my brother's not listening to this. Yeah, yeah. What of a lot of a lot of balls going missing? Yeah. yeah. Well, or, yeah, or, just, or hitting a car going through the windscreen. Yeah, you're absolutely it? right. Yeah. Well, it's mostly fans, and then people who've just gone bowling next door. So there pr- probably are many people who come back to find their cars destroyed and Oxford being sued and having to pay for multiple vehicle repairs. <laughs> We'll move to music now. Is there is there like uh, this could be a, a football song or a terrace chant? But is is there a football song that that particularly resonates with you, Anna? I like in football how like highbrow classical music is repurposed for the lowest brow purpose. So I'm gonna say just chanting along to like birdies from Rigoletto and from what the beast like you know just going. <laughs> da, 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 da. Your ground's too big for you. <laughs> or look at the comedy of a chance. Like, is this a fire drill when the opposition's leaving because they're losing? Is this a fire <laughs> drill? Um, just just being able to chant, mind the stuff like that. But I like um, as well, and I wish I could hear it, the first ever football song. So I think if the question is, you know, what's the one football song that I want to hear? It would be... Uh, football song called he banged the leather for the goal which do you know about this tim no no it's the first known football chant it's written by edward elger who was ah, star good, yeah, yeah, yeah there yeah, we go guy, there you go yeah, yeah, good yeah, good yeah. guy is how you say good lad yeah, yeah. Good. yeah good lad he was yeah <laughs> great fan yeah who was as, as you know a wolves fan and so wrote the first football song for a wolf Wanderers in i guess the 18 90s um, and used to cycle 40 miles to watch games so a true fan wow that is Seems ridiculously far actually especially on bad road surfaces of the 19th century and bikes they didn't have much like you know they wouldn't have had lots of gears well, no you're right it wasn't back then wasn't it was the a fixie bike. he was basically on a fixie <laughs> cycling on a fixie over a mud track to watch wolves so he didn't even support his local team. He was the first sort of glory hunter. He because <laughs> wolves were really good around that time. So he's yeah. <laughs> yeah. why are they good? Because apparently there, it was it was about some legendary player called Billy Malpass or something. Who's yeah, like, a good player. Yeah, great, yeah. great guy. Do you remember you remember the Malpass <laughs> yeah, day from the from the eighteen sixties? Yeah, 1860s. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, he was actually persuaded to like wolves by a woman who I think he liked or maybe fancied a woman called Dora Penny who was a uh, daughter of a rector in Wolves and I think was a Wolves fan. And we think she's the one who got him into the football. But yeah, I'd like to hear that song. I think a choir performed it a few years ago, uh, but I didn't make it to that concert. So the first, that was the first ever football chant. Yes. 
or song. Known, yeah. known football song, yeah. They used to call them football whispers for some reason back in those days. I think that must have been some ironic, some hilarious joke to talk about football whispers. I'm now seeing a picture of a choir dressed in uh, wool scarves and whatever the things are called that, you know, little choir boys wear, like at St. Paul's, oh, yes. singing this song. Um, there you go. And they've got a flag that says, we are Premier League. And Tim, I'm really hoping that you are secretly one of these 11-year-olds. And, <laughs> and you've got... I think it was like quite recent, so maybe there's Tim in the back, sort of dressed as a choir boy on his knees. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can promise you that's not the case. <laughs> You're more of a chanter than a singer, Tim, would you Yeah, say? I was... Do you know, I was on Football Focus when I was 11. Singing a, Steve Ball, singing a Steve Ball song. No, you're not. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. They, they was sort of stood at the front of the concourse at half time and they brought the cameras over and they were like, can you can you sing the Steve Ball song? Really? So, so, yeah, 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 yeah. The footage is out there somewhere. That sounds like the sort of story you would make, I would make up about you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And the, the guy that I was with, my friend, because uh, we were 11, we, used to, we then called each other Tellyman thereafter. That was our nickname for each other. Because we were on telly together. Nice. Anyway, let's move on. That's the wit. Uh, wit of 11 year olds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, we're watching football now. We're singing Birdie, but with other words. And mm-hmm. also hearing the Elgar first ever song about football. And we're watching football with who? No, not we. You don't have to have us. Anna, you're watching football. I'll tell you. That's fine. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> who would you pick to watch the football with you? I would pick my very good friend, Ralph, who is the person who is the avid Charlton fan who taught me into Charlton my first year at uni. And I think he's what every sort of person you go to watch sport with should be, which is kind of what I was talking about earlier about um, people who have those conversations that are quite excluding. He has always just welcomed anyone into his Charlton fold. Every girlfriend he's ever had has become a passionate Charlton fan within minutes. Every friend he's ever had has been dragged to a million games he the way he got us in to supporting them initially was like I say first year at uni and Charlton were playing I think Charlton were playing Tottenham and he'd talked the talk so much and we were all persuaded and it was a big game he was like they're definitely gonna win here are the odds this is a sure thing I promise you trust me put 50 pounds each on Charlton to win and it was first year we were all living off student loans 50 pounds was like an insane amount of money to do anything with. And we did it. He put £100 on. They lost. It was it was awful. I remember it was me and actually my husband now was in the same group who put it on. And I think, I remember he went to his room and didn't come out for about two days because it was like, I hate this guy. And that, <laughs> I, I, we were hooked from there. And I think he's the person and he'll give you every detail about a game like if you don't know anything about what you're going to he'll like paint such a great narrative of you know this is who we hate this is who we love this is the chant we're going to sing about the opposition because we loathe this particular guy and I would say him and every time we go we end up talking to other people and I actually remember going to see Charlton Millwall with him and we were on the bus with a bunch of Millwall fans and we all just got along really well, which obviously is an, should be an unheard of thing, but we just had some great chat on the bus on the way back. And I think that that happens with him and it's always a fun experience. So going to go with Ralph. Sounds like Ralph should be like hired out by different football teams to he go definitely and like bring more. To re- recruit fans, <laughs> he definitely should. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that 2005 season. I don't remember Tottenham being as that bad, but actually we were. 
finished ninth. I mean, obviously above Tottenham, but yeah, still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Maybe you were somewhere putting money on Tottenham that day, and you had a lovely yeah, day. Yeah, it's a net. It's, it's a net win. It's a net win for the yeah. podcast. <laughs> so Ralph's sort of passion for Charlton must have been pretty, you know, contagious. Yeah. Very contagious. I and that was the thing that really, that really first drew you into the, into the team. Uh, yeah, I would say so. And he's a good lesson for why I think supporting football is such a uniting thing because he always lives in different countries. And he says the first thing he does when he goes to a different country is he like will wander around looking for a group of people playing football. There's always you can always bump into someone and then just like ask if you can play with them. And that's how we'll meet the first people. And it is a great way of meeting people around the world, isn't it? Oh, so good. So did you say he's lived in South America as well? Is that? Yeah. Oh, man. I haven't been to football in, in South America, but I would absolutely love to. Cause yeah, it's... me too. Perhaps we should all go visit Ralph. I mean... Let's do it. I'm afraid he lives in Portugal now. But um, yeah, yeah. South, I think it might be quite, it can be quite scary. I sort of associate South American fans with maybe being a bit intimidating. Um, but yeah, very different style. But we could handle it, I think. Yeah. We just have to go with the right attitude and like make friends via Ralph with the right like You're make right. sure we knew exactly what to do and you know, wore the right colours. Yeah, and sung exactly. The right songs. Bef- it's fine. We can pass. Befriend the popular kids in the crowd, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And of course also there's not like a big um you can't go as an away fan, so in a way it's it's safer in, in some of these big yeah, games. Good, big games yeah. so. good point. We're moving on to our final two questions now. Oh, uh, this oh. Oh, this, <laughs> we don't want this to end. We'll just make more questions up. It's fine. Uh, food. Is there a specific food that you sort of associate with football? What's your f- food of the gods? I actually, it's going to have to be a drink, I think. Um, is that acceptable? Fine. Fine. Um, Fine. I is know. it Benedictine meat? It, it is. <laughs> Since you mentioned it, it's all I can think about. I would say it specifically, and maybe this makes me a uh, football heathen that I do this, but it's specifically the second half of the second pint at half time when you've gone to see a game that you're trying to down because you've already missed the first five minutes of the second half. And you don't, you've mm. always ordered two pints because you like, you, you're not allowed to obviously have pints in the stadium. So you've got to get it in at halftime. And it tastes terrible. And it's out of like, those plastic cups. And often you'll be drinking it and you'll hear a massive roar go up from the stadium. And it's like the, the only goal of the game has been scored in that one time when you were standing on that like concrete, like slightly urine smelling because it's next to the toilets area, trying to down that second half of the second pint because you don't want to waste it. And yes. I think that's just such part of the football experience for me is is hearing something amazing happen in the stadium when I've tried to get the most out of my second pint. So it's that that slightly flat beer. Um, are there any are there any goals that you've missed that you can recall that you really wish you hadn't been drinking your second pint? Ah, God, I I I can't. Remember. I want to say I was in the playoffs against Doncaster I was in them I was playing in the playoffs against Doncaster <laughs> went to the playoffs against Doncaster um, to watch Charlton I do remember there being a goal scored when I was out drinking a beer then but I can't remember even who scored I just remember it was a goal and there were a few other goals scored in that game so it was alright which we lost eventually and then won on aggregate and got through it was a real classic Charlton performance <laughs> but nothing uh, not not a specific goal that springs to mind now no, but I just, I feel the disappointment of hearing that cheer go up. Do you do that? Is that a thing? Like, or do you guys yeah. always, you make oh, sure yeah. you're there? 
start and oh, finish. It's difficult. It is difficult. It's tough. I mean, you've got to leave at the 40th minute anyway to beat the queues. And No, I think that's quite a common thing. I know, yeah, friends of mine have missed like wonder goals and like really? season-defining goals. and Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. alcohol is such an important part of the football experience to so many people. It is, yeah. I'm thinking, not, not a significant one, but I feel like I went with... Um, I went to watch Tottenham Everton with a mate because quite quite often with football stuff I'm kind of working so I haven't been to that many Spurs games recently but we went and watched it I mean last I can't even remember whether what season it was last season season before whatever we won five nil right and I think <laughs> that's um, the important thing and and my mate was a uh, an Everton fan so that was fun and uh, anyway we went out at half time to get beers and I was just so I was just like. Pfft. Yeah, we might miss a goal, but it doesn't really matter because there's been going to be so many fucking goals. <laughs> <laughs> the complacency you deserve just to lose six five at that point. <laughs> yeah, but you have to be careful. There's that. There was that one. I'm trying to think of the game. I mean, maybe it, it maybe was the no. It probably wasn't that Barcelona Ramontada game, but where like Barcelona fans famously left the stadium and then we're trying to get back in and you can't like fully left the stadium and you can't you're not allowed to go back in if you fully left and there's like crowd noise coming from within and they're like you know bargaining oh, wow. with the stewards to try and get back in and not allowed um yeah so there's all sorts of like the fact of sometimes the mad fact of sometimes you go to the football and you almost always actually the game that you've seen is much less complete than the game that you would have seen if you'd stayed at home and watched it on the TV. It's interesting, isn't it? Which goes to show that football is about more than the actual skill of watching the players. Obviously, otherwise we'd all just sit in front of widescreen TVs watching the excellent camera angles you get rather than <laughs> rather than just screaming foul and being like, yeah, I didn't see it. Actually, I was looking the other way at the time. So so this this pint you're drinking, on it's not necessarily a, a delectable drink. It's, it, it's like a carling. It sounds like. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 the the sort of standard of of food and drink at Charlton, what's 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 the level like? It's gourmet, as you can imagine. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what do I normally? Have? I normally have a uh, well. I have turned vegetarian the last few years, and so I would would usually have a pie, but now ch- chips. I think I usually go for some chips and a pint. No, uh, or just a pint. Yeah. So no, many, no, no, no vegetarian, vegetarian uh, pie option. Um, yeah. Not that I've sampled, although I imagine there must be. Um, no, there is a there's a cheese and onion pie actually, and I, ha- I think I have had it. Yeah. Which you're making a face. I think delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Burning hot cheese to go with your pint of Carlsberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sort of warmth of the happily probably the Cos- the Carling or the Carlsberg is still kind of cold enough that you can like douse your tongue a little bit exactly so yeah probably really comes into its own at that point it's the re- main reason you order it yeah okay so we are now on your final question which is your game that's going to last forever I suppose the benefit of this is you can have many you can pop out for many pints during this eternal game because there'll always be more that's also a tough one and like my again because I love I think one of my favourite things about football is the go like going to watch a game experience. It might even be that game in the so Doncaster twenty nineteen, it was the playoffs. Mm. It was not a great game, but basically I think I would make last forever the fact that we invaded the pitch at the end. Because I'd never done that before and it felt like a rite of passage, even though you shouldn't. And it was 
so great and it was going like i say we had not had high hopes we were losing i thought we were gonna you know not make it it was quite last minute i think it ended up being four three on aggregate that meant that we were going to go to Wembley, which we did, and played Sunderland, got promoted, brilliant, spent one lovely um, lovely season before getting relegated. But I think it was like storming the pitch, knowing we're going to Wembley, this is great, this is ahead of us, and behind us is this like victory that's been wrenched from the jaws of defeat. And I think I'd make maybe that moment last forever and that sensation. It was 4-4, there was penalties, Anna. You forgot the penalties. It was, penalties. Shit, it, was pe- God, it was after penalties. Of course it was. Of course it was. Oh my God, so embarrassing. Yeah. Well, there you go. All I've remembered is the pitch invasion. Yeah. Uh... The football gods. Uh, your 10 questions, which we're going to turn into commandments, Anna, and, and read back to you now. Your acts as a football guard your glory team was it's probably it was Newcastle from the mid 90s I think we settled on yeah. was your was your sort of glory team uh, your first godly act is to end the embarrassing theatrics mm-hmm. of football players football perfection of you is of course Miguel Almoron um, <laughs> and of course you're going to damn Henry VIII uh, to hell and the moment you're going to wipe from history was in 1921 when the FA banned women from playing on all FA grounds we are also banishing exclusive conversations about football that exclude people and just signal knowledge rather than having you know rather than just being full conversation but you can also you're going to team that potentially with teaching football in schools instead of geography the food of the gods is a is a flat pint um (laughs) (laughs) that you're downing uh very fast as the second half is kicking off at halftime uh, you would watch with Ralph, who persuades everyone to love Charlton and football in general. Uh, and your song is He Banged the Leather for the Goal, I think, which is the first known chant or whisper, as they were called then, from the 19th century. And the game that's lasting forever is the playoff semi-final between Charlton and Dogster in 2019, which you guys won on penalties, although apparently those were quite forgettable. But apparently, I yeah, completely forgot <laughs> So embarrassing. Oh, that, that's all right. I can... No, no. The thing that's really lasting forever is the pitch invasion. I think, or that emotion of the pitch invasion, and which does the pitch sound embrace. Let's call it the pitch. Okay. Im- sorry, yes, the pitch. <laughs> the pitch hug. So thank you so much, Anna. That was a lot of fun. Um, do you feel like you? Do you feel like you are a football god? Do you now feel like you have? power over the game that you're going to use for good um yeah i really feel like i am i've seen some of the other guests you've had on and they're real football like well football professionals and real experts and i I like i'm a real huge amateur uh so i feel a bit like um like hermes i've always think of him as a bit of a lesser god he just dodges around being a bit cheeky not being as powerful as the rest of them but i'll take Mm. i'll take that spot yeah a lesser god awesome all right, Hermes. Well, thanks so much. It was wicked. <laughs> it was absolutely wicked having you on. It was really fun. Thanks so much. The Football Gods is a voice work sport production. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.